The rest of you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, I just want to talk through this hymn just for a second. I wasn't planning on doing that, but as I was singing that song just a minute ago, man, these words are just so good. And um, I, man, I, I grew up singing this song. I, I, I think some of the earliest memories I have in church, this song is part of it. Um, some of you would probably agree with that. So as you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is page 959, I, I just want to talk to us for a second because sometimes with the words, the old English words, maybe we can lose a little bit about what's being said there. The thou's and these and all that stuff, don't let that trip you up. What I like about the song is it starts with confession, okay? True worship should start with confession, okay? Do you see this? For, for thee, all the follies of sin I resign, okay? So whoever's writing this, I don't even know who wrote this, who's writing this, okay, and we're singing this, if we're going to start worshiping God, we start with confession, okay? And, and, and I hope that the time of confession of sin isn't just right now. I, I hope that you have a regular time where you go before God and you confess your sins, okay? It says, I know that thou art mine, for thee all this father of sin my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love you, my Jesus, tis now. Okay, that's the phrase that's going to be repeated over and over again. You know this. You're just saying this, okay? So over and over again, we're saying, if ever I love you, my Jesus, tis now. What I love about this is that this is saying that this is our aim. This is our goal. This is what we want to do. We want to love Jesus, but what I like about this song, it shows the progression of faith, okay? And it shows that as we grow and as we go from one day to the next, we can say, man, Jesus, you are so real to me. You are so beautiful to me that if there's ever a moment in my life that I've loved you, it's right now. And then we move on to the next verse, okay? So you can go to the next verse today. I love you because I was first loved me and pardoned. So you're thinking about, look, the only reason why that I love you this day is because you love me first. And died on the cross. So the only reason why I have this feeling that you're beautiful, the only reason why I'm recognizing this is because I, you did this to me first. John says this, first John, we love him because he first loved us. Okay, next slide. So it goes on and it says, I love thee for wearing the thorns in thy brow. That crown of thorns. And then it's the, the writers, you know, thinking about this, what Jesus has done for him. He says, okay, now, now, now I'm, I'm meditating on what you've done for me. Now, if there's ever a moment in my life, I thought it was yesterday, but if there's ever a moment in my life that I love you, it is right now. Okay, move on. I love thee in life, and I will love you in death. He says, I don't want this to be just a fad or just a, a season of my life. I want the whole course of my life to be about loving you. And as long as you give me breath, I am going to praise you. I love the, the word lends me breaths. You know, what God has given to us, the life that God has given to us, he owns it all. And the abilities and the energies and the breath that you and I have, that's from the Lord. Now, praise you. Next slide. And I'll say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, when I'm in the grave, if ever I loved you, my Jesus is now. You know what I love about that? No regrets in death for the Christ follower. There's no regrets. The Christ follower, the person who has given their entire life to following Christ, is not going to die and say, you know what? It really wasn't worth it. 
It's going to, that faith becomes sight and you see Jesus and you say, man, I can't believe, I can't believe that that you are my savior. If there's ever a moment I thought in my life that I loved you, but right now in my death, I realize that I love you more supremely. You can move on. In mansions of glory, endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. Keep going. I'll sing with a crown in my brow if ever I loved you, my Jesus is now. Man, for all eternity. So what we're doing right now, okay, what we're doing right now in singing this song is just the, the introduction to eternity of singing our love for Christ. And the more we live our life following Christ, the more we see how beautiful he is. And one of the ways to see the beauty of Christ is through the church. And so I want to just take him. I wasn't playing it on. This was, uh, uh, I'm singing this song. I'm thinking, man, I hope, I hope we're not missing these words here. So when we sing, I hope that we don't just read the words in the screen. I, I, I hope that we're thinking about the theology behind this and saying, yes, this is what I want for my life. Now, I've talked to some people before and they say, well, I don't sing during the congregational singing time, we'll say, well, why not? They say, well, because I don't always feel that way. I don't feel like if ever I love you, my Jesus is now. I don't feel that, and so I don't want to be a hypocrite, okay? So I don't sing. Well, I, I, I guess I can understand it a little bit, but what we're singing here is we're singing what we should aspire to, okay? And so this is a time for us to sing together and say, hey, this is what I want. And so I wanted to walk us through that song because it was just so beautiful to me, uh, just being reminded of that. Well, I've asked you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is a passage that I'm going to look at, and, and we're, basically what I said before is that what I hope to do today is I hope to build or expand upon your understanding of the doctrine of the church, and I hope to encourage you to be an active participant in this church if this is your home church. And if you're visiting here and you're part of another church, then I hope you take this and go back to your home church and become an active participant there and by what, but what that requires sometimes is that requires us to embrace some ugliness, but also see the beauty that God is perfecting amongst us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 12, it says this. And I just want to remind you that this is the word of the living God. This is the words of a holy God who spoke this world into existence and does miracles and is, is beautiful and gracious and kind, but is holy and this, these are his words. This is my words. This is not just some church document. These are the words of God. Okay? So in reverence, let's read. It says this in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the part of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. In our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healings, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. And all are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Basically, what I want to do today is I have, in, it's in the outline in the bulletin there, although in the point number two in the bulletin, I changed it. So when we get to there, you're going to have to draw a line through it and, and put two different words down there. But basically, three ways that the church is unique. And it's different than any part of, it's different than any other organization or club or any type of group that you'll ever be a part of. The church is indeed unique. First of all, it's unique because it is perfect yet imperfect. Okay? The church is perfect yet imperfect. Now, what do I mean by perfect? Well, first of all, the church has a perfect head. It's a perfect head. Now, this isn't the main point of this text here, but I just just set it up for the rest of what the text is saying. I at least need to mention this. And we find this in the book of Colossians. We find this in Ephesians, where it says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so by because of that, uh, we have a perfect head. Now, here in our church here, we have leaders, and I'm one of them, but I am not the head of this church. And the elders are not the head of this church. And we really make it a conscious effort when we get together and talk, when we plan, when we pray, to remind ourselves that this isn't our church. This isn't my church, okay? This is Jesus' church. He's the head of this church. Now, we have responsibility as leaders to guide and to lead, but we do not ever, ever want to take it upon ourselves to claim ownership of this church because this is Jesus' church and he is a perfect head. And he is perfect in his nature. You can just keep your finger here, but just go over to Colossians chapter 1, just for a quick second here. It's just a few pages over to uh, page 983 if you're using the Bibles provided for you there. So Colossians chapter 1, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians because we're coming right back. But Colossians chapter 1, it says this in verse 15. This is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on uh, earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so the head that we have here that is seen there, it says he is the express image of the invisible God, the holy God, the perfect God. Jesus Christ is perfect in his nature. Now, 1 Peter chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 22 says, He committed, talking about Jesus, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. And so, Jesus Christ was sinless, and this is the reason why He could be our Messiah. This is the reason why we can follow His leadership in our church, and we can say, that is our perfect head. So, we're saying that the church is perfect yet imperfect, okay? It's a unique church. It's a unique organization, because we have almost contrasting things here, or a paradox that it's perfect, yet it's imperfect. It's perfect because of its, its head. And, and, the, and Jesus is perfect in his nature. But he's also perfect in his work, okay? So it's not just the nature of God, of Jesus, that makes him perfect, but it's also the work. He's perfect in his work as well. Now look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? I want you to see this. In verse 18, it says, But as it is, God arranged the members... In the body, each one of them as he chose. The word arranged is interesting to me. Then also go down to verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And so we see two words here, one in verse 18, one in verse 24, about this idea of Jesus' work in the church, and he arranged it. Now, the idea of arranged there is to put or to place or to lay in formation the, the illustration I was thinking of is this is, is uh, the idea of someone who arranges flowers, okay? Um, you know, there's some of you are gifted. I know LaVon and other people are gifted in, in arranging flowers and things. You know, let me tell you, if, if you have a family member that's getting married or there's a special event or something like that, you're not going to want to ask me to arrange the flowers, okay? I just don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I remember as a teenager mowing my parents' lawn, mowing the lawn, and, and, and I got done, and I was happy that I, man, I, I just, I, I got the whole lawn done and everything. And then my mom came outside, and she says, what happened to my flowers? Well, I, I I didn't know. I, I, I thought they were weeds, okay? Man, this went over with the lawnmower, okay? And, and I, I honestly did. I, I just, just kept going. And she's like, well, what, what about this here, you know? So, so you don't want me arranging flowers, but you see, some people have that gift, right? Some people can take things and, and put it in and just make it look really nice. It's like something you'd see on Fixer Upper, okay? You know, it's arranged and put it together. Jesus does that with the church, okay? And so here, if you're part, what I want to do today is I want you to stop and celebrate a little bit what God has done. If you're part of a church, then you are part of God's beautiful arrangement here. And you bring certain things that God has said, this place needs it. Okay, this place, this person will look here, and if and, and this person over here, and it's going to be a beautiful arrangement here. This is what Jesus is doing here. 
But not just the word arranged, but also the word composed in verse 24 there. And this has the idea of blending or uniting or mixing or putting together or structuring something or to fit it together, okay? This idea of, of putting things that maybe aren't as great individually, but together they make something awesome. And the illustration for this are my wife's chocolate chip cookies. Okay, I mean, if you've never had one of my wife's chocolate chip cookies, you haven't lived. Okay, these things are are amazing. They're they're like the perfect consistency of crunchy yet gooey and soft. And she has her own secret recipes for it, and I know it, and I will not divulge it. But these are just awesome things. But if you take all the individual ingredients by themselves, you take a raw egg, crack it open, eat it. Probably not very good. And then if you put the wrong greens in, if you mix up baking soda and baking powder, if you mix those things up, that will affect the outcome of those cookies, okay? You see, God, he so composes, he so mixes things together in a perfect way that the end product is something beautiful. And that's what he's doing here, okay? That's what he does at the church at large, but that's what he's doing in each individual expression of in each local church is that he's mixing people together. Now, we have to be obedient, and we have to use our giftedness, and we have to use the talents. We have to use the time. We have to use the energy. We have to use all the things that God has given us to make it come together so that we can be part of this beautiful arrangement that God is doing here. But what I want to encourage you today is that if you're part of a church, this is something that God has carefully composed. This is something that God has carefully arranged because he says, this is going to be beautiful. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And so he's putting this together. He's the perfect head. If you were to ask me to pick the church members, I wouldn't do a very good job. Do you remember on the playground as a kid? And everyone's standing up, and the two captains, you know, you get chosen two captains, and then it's the first when you get picked, you know, to do the teams, you know, back and forth, back and forth. You know, and then there's always the one person, you know, that's in the, the last one to be picked and everything. But I remember I played basketball quite a bit growing up. And, um, you know, you get to an age, and, and this was a while ago for me, that when you go to the city court and play basketball, that people stop looking at you and picking you for their team, okay? You, you, you just, you, if, if I were to go to the city court today and line up and, you know, we're choosing teams, no one's going to pick me first, okay? Um, it's just, you know, those days are done, right? But here's the thing is that I remember choosing teams one time and, and there was an older guy in the basketball court, and, and uh, you know, I was one of the captains, and I wasn't going to pick him first because, I mean, I mean, he's an old guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, but I ended up getting stuck with him, okay? And so he's on my team, and so we're going down the court, and I pass him the ball, and he shoots from like 30 feet away, nothing but net. I'm like, I like this guy, <laughs> okay? He was the best player out there. I never would have picked him first, but he was the best player. Um, You see, I wouldn't do a good job of formulating a church, and that's why it's not my job. 
My job as a pastor here is to take what God has arranged and try to encourage and try to build up and try to, to push. And sometimes that means that I encourage. Sometimes that means I, 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 I push hard as a coach. I really view myself as kind of like a player coach where I'm in the game and I'm working, but at the same time I've got a coach as well and say, hey, no, we're not doing this right here, okay? And that's not because I'm trying to be mean. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't like this church or anything. It's because I want us to be this beautiful arrangement that God has put together here. And so we have a perfect head here, and he has done perfect work here, and we need to celebrate that. But I said it's perfect yet imperfect. While we have a perfect head, we also have an imperfect body. (laughs) The church has an imperfect body. Let's go back to the basketball illustration here for a second. If I play basketball today, and I, you know, and I played a lot in high school and things, and I coached for a while and everything, I, I, I enjoy the game of basketball. In fact, uh, if I'm watching basketball, March Madness is coming up. It's around the corner, one of my favorite times of the year to watch all the different basketball games. And, and I can look at the screen, and I can see immediately, you know, okay, they're in a 2-3 defense, and this is what, and I'm like, oh, come on. That's not how you beat a 2-3. And, you know, and I, I know these things about basketball because I enjoy the game. But if I were to go out into the gym and play basketball today, I would know what to do, okay? I would know I need to cut here. I need to roll off this screen here. I would know that, okay, if I, if I rocker step this way and go this way back, I'm going to be open. I can get a layup. I would know all this stuff. But you know what happens when I do this? My head's like, do this. And my body says, where are you going? <laughs> okay, this is not a good idea. Um, I, I, I don't have the physical body to match what I know of the game of basketball anymore. And that happens to all of us. You see, we don't have, uh, in the church, our body is imperfect. We have a perfect head, and we're striving to be like Jesus. We're striving to follow him. But the body that is composed is imperfect. And here we see this in this text here. First of all, we see this in like the temptation to have an inferiority complex. Did you see in verse 15, it says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And he gives a few examples of it all the way down to verse 20. Sometimes when we were part of a church, we say, well, man, I'm not gifted like so-and-so, or I don't have the abilities they have. I don't have the singing voice that they do. I don't have the abilities or the calling or, or whatever to do this. I don't have money like they do. And so there's all these reasons and things of like, I must not be as part of the church as that I would be or that I would want to be because all the limitations put upon me. But the reality is is that if God, if we truly believe that God is arranged and composed as he has wanted, then your giftedness and your skill set and your knowledge and your personality is exactly what this church needs. Uh, earlier in Adult Discipleship Hour, Jason was teaching, and he had uh, asked Wayne and myself, and then he filled out a, um, one of those kind of personality quizzes and things like that, And so, because the point of the lesson was that God uses different types of people. And so he reads through like all the, the characteristics of what my results were, what Wayne's results were, and what his results were without telling who got what. 
And immediately, you know, people could pick up on right away who was what. And we found out. We found out an interesting thing that if we ever want to start a cult, Wayne is the guy to start the cult here, okay? And so we got to keep an extra eye on this guy, okay? All right? But the point is, is that we all have different giftedness and different personalities and things that God has given to us. And instead of looking, and we do this all the time, and I do this all the time myself, man, I wish I were like... Like, mm, and I wish I could be like someone's, or I wish I could do this. Instead of going down that road, understand that God has arranged this the way he wants it to be and use what you have. You get to be part of this church, okay? You get to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. You get to be part of a family, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a group of people that God has composed and that God has arranged for a specific purpose and it is beautiful in his sight and that he is making beautiful. Now, we're imperfect right now, and we're striving for perfection, and one day that will come, but it's not today. So I'm not saying we don't strive to improve. That's not my point. My point is we need to understand that just because we're not like so, someone else, or just because we're not like a different ch- another church down the street, doesn't make us any less of the body of Christ. And just because you don't have the giftedness that you think you should have, doesn't make you any less part of this church. I'm so grateful for people who are sacrificing on a weekly basis, doing things outside of their comfort zone, not letting this inferiority complex hold them back. They're serving, trying to make Christ beautiful. And that's what we need here. And not just the inferiority complex, but the opposite is true too. And this is... um, uh, a superiority complex. But actually, before I get to that, I, I wanted to give one illustration about the inferiority complex. You remember in John chapter 6, you remember uh, there was uh, a group of people that needed to be fed. You remember that? And there was a little boy. He was probably poor. We know from the food that he had with him, the barley loaves, that was a kind of a poor lunch. You know, he could have had an infer- inferiority complex and just said, well, I, I don't have the ability that the disciples have. I don't have the gift in this. I'm just a boy. I'm just young. I, I just got this little lunch. But he went to the master, and he went to the master's disciples and basically said, hey, you can have it. Do what you want with it. He didn't let that inferiority complex get in his way. And you saw God do some tremendous things there. I also mentioned the superiority complex. We see this starting in verses 21 and following in the text here. The eye, verse 21, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so there's no place where one of us as part of this church can look at anyone else and says, you know, we really don't need you. Now, we would never say that. I mean, who would say that? But sometimes we think that. Good riddance. Goodbye. Or, you know, we don't need you. No, if God has placed people here together, if he's placed you here together, it's because he has said, I want you part of this assembly here. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, so are you saying there's never a good reason to leave a church? No, I'm not saying that. There are good reasons to leave a church, and we can get into that another time. But my point is, is, is this, generally speaking, if we're in the church, it's because God has says, I want you part of it. And we have no right to ever look at anyone else and say, well, I don't think you can contribute to what we need to be here. 
You know, if someone comes in and they look differently than us, are we, are, we, are we trying to bring them in or are we setting up barriers that will keep them away? Are we trying to draw people into our church here and say, hey, we need more laborers. We need more servants here. We need more people here ministering the gospel here. This is what we need. Are we doing that or are we keeping people away and says, you know, we don't need anyone else. We don't need anyone else. I remember when we started the church uh, several years ago, you know, we went through this time where the church actually got started um, with, uh, from a split from another church, and it was a very difficult time, and so the, the church that was formed, it, it really was a very tight-knit group of people when we started it. But one of the things as pastors I remember us having to work through and be very intentional about in that new church was that as we grew, and people who came in and joined the church who didn't have the same experiences that we all did, we had to include them and work them into the new church. Because it was very easy for some people to be like, hey, you haven't been through what I've been through. And so kind of keep them on the upside. And that's not what a church is about. When God brings people, he's bringing them to mix. Remember? Remember the, the word compose there? Mix it together. So when we have people, when God does bring people to our church and add them to our church, it shouldn't be the old people and then the new people. No, no, no. God's bringing people here to mix it together so that we can learn from each other and we can minister with one another and be part of this church together. So I said that we, it, it's, it's perfect yet imperfect. And so we have a perfect head, but every one of us here that make up this body of Christ here, we are imperfect people. And sometimes it frustrates us. It frustrates me at times. It frustrates me about my own sin. And quite frankly, everyone else's sin frustrates me too at times. And so we get frustrated about this. But here's what I wanted to, this, as I'm studying this, this is what I, I was thinking about here is that God didn't say, okay, I'm going to make you perfect and then make you part of the church. He, he's doing this work and process. And so here's the thought I had. If God, if Jesus himself is content to use imperfect humans, then in his arrangement, his composement, his composition, then why do we insist upon perfection of our own selves and everyone else around us? You see, Jesus is saying, no, I, I know you're imperfect. I, I know, believe me, I know you're sinful. I know how terrible you are. I know it better than you know it, okay? But I want you part of this church. I want you part because I'm going I'm to keep shaping you and I'm going to keep making you more like myself and this is going to be a beautiful result at the end of the day. So the church is unique because it's perfect yet imperfect. But secondly, and this is where you're going to have to make a change in your bulletin outline, is it's visible yet invisible. We have in the bulletin are local yet universal. And I was going to talk about that. I did talk about it last week a little bit. Um, but I, I wanted to make the distinction between the local and universal versus the visible versus the invisible. These are not synonym, uh, uh, synonyms, okay? These are two different aspects of the church. And this is kind of where uh, <laughs> the, uh, the doctrine of the church is being taught here, okay? Uh, as we understand what the Bible teaches about the church, we understand there's a local manifestation and there's a universal manifestation. Anyone who's part of the body of Christ is the uh, part of the universal church, okay? But yet, the local church are the invisible or, or the uh, the local expressions 
of the universal church, okay? And so most of the New Testament is written to local churches. Now, we do have exceptions. Ephesians, a a large part of Ephesians, is written to uh, the idea of the church at large. But here in Corinthians, it's written to the church at Corinth. In Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica. Uh, it's written to specific pastors at churches. First and Second Timothy, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Titus, to the pastor of the church of Crete. And on and on it goes. And so I talked a little bit about that last week, so I didn't feel like I needed to develop it too much this week. But what I did need to develop, I thought, was this idea of visible versus invisible. Okay? So the church, this is the reason why it's so unique. It's different than any type of organization that you'll ever be part of. Is there's a visible expression, and yet there's an invisible part as well. The easiest way to remember this is this. The visible church is what humans can see, okay? The visible church is what humans can see. These are people who claim to be part of the body of Christ. These are people who claim to be Christ followers, okay? And so this is um, like uh, people who would uh, verbally confess that they're Christ followers. These are people who would be uh, baptized. They would publicly confess their fellowship of Christ in baptism. These are people who would publicly profess their fellowship of Christ at the Lord's table, Lord's Supper. And so really this is all the gathered believers that we can see with our obvious imperfections, okay? The visible church that we see. So this right here is the idea of the visible church, what we can see, okay? And so there's people that compose this church that in all of us, we bring our strengths, but we also bring our weaknesses to this. And so, but what we need to understand though is that what we see gathered every week is not the final product. Okay, this is, this is a product in process right now. What we see gathered every week is part of what God is shaping and making and arranging. It's not always pretty, but it is something that he's doing. Okay, so, so what you see is this idea of this visible church here. And man, sometimes we look and it looks awesome. And sometimes we see our warts and our weaknesses as well. I, you know, I mentioned last week of all the different things that the Lord's been just opening my eyes to see of the, the, the things that God is doing through you and, and in our church. And I, I'm just grateful. And, and I had so many other things that I could have talked about uh, last week as well. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what God is doing here. Um, one thing about our church that stands out is generosity. If there's ever a need Man, this, this church comes together and, and fills that need. And there's a lot of churches that's not the case. And this is what we see. But then, like I said, there's also the, the imperfections of our church that we see. And we get frustrated with at times. But that's part of the visible church. Now, what's the invisible church? Well, the vis- if the visible church is what humans can see, the invisible church is what God sees. Okay? And so this is what God sees in the church. The true church. Because not everyone that claims the name of Christ is part of the family of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, I have it on the screen for you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so Jesus understands God sees who the true church is. Now, we can have people here that claim to follow Christ, and they're not really followers of Christ. That's possible. 
But Jesus sees the true church, and that's the individual church. Acts chapter 20, in verse 29 through 31, it says, I know that after my departure, this is Paul talking here, after he started the church, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. And this is the reason why Paul was emotional in his pastoring of the churches that he did and the churches that he started. It's because he knew that there would be opposition. And that, they, that there would be an enemy that would be constantly warring for their souls. And I know that here. And while I see the visible church that God has here, only God knows what the true church is, the invisible church. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 19, where it says, The Lord knows whose are his. Now, why am I bringing this up? Am I bringing this up because you know, we should be constantly like, looking at each other and be like, I don't know. I don't know about you. You know, I don't know, JP, man, I don't know about this guy. I'm not sure about him. You know, and is that what we're saying? No. But what I am saying is that we need to make sure that we are truly followers of Christ. Because the reality is you can fool a lot of people. You can fool me. You can fool every other person in this room. But you will never fool God. Never. And ultimately, that's the one that matters. <laughs> You're not going to stand before me one day. Uh-uh. I'll be standing next to you, standing before the king. But then that's when he's going to say, I never knew you. Or he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Which one is he going to say when you stand before Christ? You see, this is the reason why I need to bring this up is because it's being part of the church, the doctrine of the church, isn't simply attendance, isn't simply saying, okay, I'm going to be a member of the church or I'm going to show up or I'm going to be at the painting parties, which you should be at the painting parties, by the way. But you see, that's not what the point of this is. It's that Jesus knows whose are his, this idea of the invisible church. And so I said, this is what God sees but I want to point out this here. It's not only just the, does he see who the true church is. I want you to see that he sees a beautiful bride. Okay? When you and I look at the visible church, sometimes we get frustrated. And I, I just read a book um, uh, by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck. It's called Why We Love the Church. Um, and it's a really good book uh, talking about because there's, there's a... And it has been for the last several years, but there's this wave of, of people wanting to leave organized religion and, and, and leave the church. They say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, okay? And this book does a great job of, of walking through why that is biblically indefensible, okay? Why it, you cannot uh, say you love Christ but hate the church. And so here, what I'm saying is this idea of this invisible church that what Christ sees is not just that he sees, okay, I know who's truly mine. There is that aspect. But he looks and sees the beauty here that you and I can't see yet sometimes. He sees that beautiful bride that he is working and shaping. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27 
It says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Jesus is working on. This is what he's shaping. This is what the Father sees right now because he sees Jesus' blood that covers our sins. And this is why it's so important to be in Christ because the Father, who's a holy God, who will, will deal with sin in a holy, wrathful manner, when, when, our, when we are in Christ and we ask Christ to save us from our sins. He, the Father, Holy Father, sees Jesus and what Jesus' work and Jesus' arrangement and composition, that's what the Father sees. Because the wrath has been satisfied then at that point. So I just want to encourage you that while we look around and we get discouraged sometime or whatever, the point is that when, when, when God looks down, he sees a beautiful bride here. Because he sees what we can't see yet. A couple of illustrations came to mind. I was thinking about this. The first is, you know, caterpillar. My wife is going crazy right now because she cannot stand caterpillars. Um, so I tried to find the ugliest one I could for this illustration. Um, and, um, you know, when the kids grab them and bring them home or bring them in, you know, she does the motherly thing like, oh, that's great. You know, but in this, just to show you how awesome she is, she orders caterpillars in the mail, okay, so that they can watch them come into butterflies. And so, but her skin is crawling right now, okay? And I originally was only going to have this picture up for about five seconds, but I kind of want it longer now. <laughs> so, so can everyone see this? I just want to make sure. Can everyone see that right? Okay. All right. So, okay, that's what it starts, right? Ugly. And then what happens, right? A butterfly. I mean, how does that come from the first thing? You know, we look at butterflies and say, man, how beautiful that is. But it, it, it's, it's God's design. Another illustration I was thinking, you know, you go to the beach and there's a big mound of sand. You can't do anything with that. It just gets into your... I, I don't like going to the beach, by the way, because you get sand all over the place and it's just... Yeah, it's not going to give me a pool any day. But anyway, that's beside the point. So you get all the sand here and everything like that. But someone else looks at that same... Uh, big mound of sand, and then he creates this beautiful sandcastle. <laughs> you imagine that? By the way, that's Neuschwanstein. That's a castle in Germany, which is a beautiful castle. I've been to it. Okay, not the sand one, the real one. And so, um, but can you, I mean, a mound of sand to that. What about a hunk of ice? Big old hunk of ice, and someone pulls out a chainsaw. And the, the right person, the skilled person with that chainsaw then becomes this beautiful ice sculpture. Can you imagine that? Now, you and I, we look around and we see the caterpillar and we look around and we see the hunk of, the big mound of sand and we see the hunk of ice. But the invisible church, because that's the visible church, but the invisible church, the God sees, is the butterfly, the sandcastle, and the ice sculpture. He says, this is beautiful. And he sees it because he's bought it. He's paid for it and he's shaping it. But it takes time. You know, that, that, that sandcastle didn't just miraculously come in. No, someone had to come in and they had to form it and shape it and they had to use tools and, and, and push it in and get more water and all these things. And same thing, someone had to use a chainsaw and ice scraper tools and things like that for this. And it takes time. God is perfecting his church. And so here's the reason why I bring this up. 
If we know that God is perfecting his church, should not this cause us to be patient and see what God does with it? Better yet, should we not roll our sleeves up and invest in the church and try to help remove some of his ugliness? And so this is what God is doing. And so I wanted to point out that the body of Christ, that he has arranged it for a specific purpose and he's composed in a specific way because we don't see the final product, but we've, we're already told what that will be, presented to Christ without spot, uh, spot or, or wrinkle. That's what he's doing. And we get to be part of it. You get to be part. You are part of the sand mound. You're part of the ice. You are part of the caterpillar. Sorry. Okay. You are part of this that God is doing something. And so I want to encourage you with that. Work hard for it. There's one other thing. Work hard to be obedient to Christ. One other thing, and I I need to move quickly and we'll be done. It's not only perfect yet imperfect, visible but invisible, but it's also diverse yet unified. Diverse yet unified. Diversity in his members, we've already kind of talked about that. In verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so, you know, we have different giftedness, and that's the whole part, part of the metaphor here of the body, is that there's, there's people who are different, and there's, there's parts that are different uh, in this body. Now, most clubs or organizations, they look for people who are very similar. And we are tempted to be around people, only around people who are similar to us. Okay? Statement, you finish it for me. All right, here it goes. Birds of a feather. All right. Okay, that's what we do, right? And we're most comfortable with people who are most like us. And that's by human nature. But we need, as Christians, we need to make sure we need to embrace the diversity that God is bringing and brings to our church. Because he's doing that for a specific reason. The church is intentionally comprised of people who are different and that makes it difficult sometimes, but it's God's plan for us. And we have different roles or different abilities, and we need to embrace the differences. How God has enabled you to serve here. How has he composed this church? Are you doing what you should be doing? Some of you are doing more than your fair share. So we all have different roles and different abilities. Okay, in the last couple of minutes I have together, here's what I want you to do. Okay, this is going to be this little participation here. Okay, everyone, just touch your nose. Okay, all right, good job. All right, some of you are free to do it, but that's okay. I'll pray for you. So, um, no, it's fine. Good participation. Now, notice I never told you to use your hand to touch your nose. Okay, I didn't see anyone like you know using their sleeve, or I didn't see anyone trying to do the elbow thing, you know? All right, Seth, Seth's going to do okay. No one used their knee, all right? At least I didn't see it. No one grabbed their toe. <laughs> uh, no one did. Why? Because the most natural part to use to touch your nose is the part of your body that's designed to handle things. Your hands, right? And so we just instinctively do that. Okay, there we go. Don't know why pastors asked me to do this, but hey, here we go. All right? And so you touch your nose and that's it. Now, it is possible to touch your nose with your wrist or with your elbow like Seth demonstrated for us. Thank you, Seth. All right? Okay, it is possible to do that. 
But it's uncomfortable. It's not as efficient. Now, there are times where, have you ever had your hands full and you got the itch on your nose? All right. What does that look like? Okay. <laughs> you know, and you're trying to, 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 to scratch it. And then what do you do? You end up rubbing your face against something, right? Okay. Because you got to scratch the itch. And so you do use something else. But it's not as efficient. It looks awkward. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not what, how we are designed. You know, sometimes in the body of Christ, you know, we can get along with other people. You know, we, we can, we, we, God's given hands to our congregation, but if the hands stop doing their job, then the rest of us got to compensate for it, like the body compensates. Now, the problem is, is that we can do that, and we can, we can compensate for it, but the problem is, is that the body gets kind of out of joint, and, uh, and it gets awkward, and, and it's not as efficient, right? And so, as, as I looked at, okay, how are we functioning as a church? I think, okay, sometimes we have hands that just aren't doing the job the hands should be doing. And sometimes with feet, the feet aren't doing the job. Now, the rest of the church, we're plugging along and we keep going. And instead of walking with our feet, we walk on our knees. I remember when Mia was learning to walk. She just could not get the feet thing down for a while. She would literally walk on her knees, run around on her knees for a while. I, I, on cement, okay? I would cringe when I would see this. But that's what she did. Now, eventually, she started using her feet and found out that that was much better, okay? But as a church, we're all individual members, and we have different roles and abilities. We need to make sure that we're using that giftedness for Jesus Christ in this context. Otherwise, we're going to cause other people to have to compensate for us. All of life requires people to fulfill different roles. And think about it. Your job, how many people are required to make your company function? different jobs. Your home, how many people contribute to the operation of your home? Think of the people at the grocery stores, utility companies, post office, all these things that to, to make your family unit go, how many other people have to contribute to that? You ever stay at the end of a movie and watch the credits? How many hundreds, if not thousands of names go across that screen to produce the movie that you spent two hours eating popcorn in? That's it. I mean, you think of how all these people are doing different roles and abilities. I, I, I watched the opening ceremony or part of the opening ceremonies for the Winter Olympics, and I was just amazed by all the different people who were involved in that. And some of the guys, I remember this one guy, I don't know if he did anything else, but they did a close-up shot of him, and he was standing there, he had his uniform on, and he was holding his little uh, uh, candle, but it was not a real candle, but it was a little light. That's all he did. That's what he did. And I thought, well, that, that's a boring job. He just sat, stood there. But when the camera panned out and you saw all the individual lights arranged, it was gorgeous. Sometimes in the church, we're like, man, that's all I do. That's not really that important. No, it is. It is important. Um, so we have diversity in, uh, in our members, but there's also unity and purpose. We are to glorify God. That is our chief aim. First Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. So while we all have different roles, we all have different abilities, we all have the same purpose, and we're to glorify God, and we are to build each other up. We see this in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 when each part of the church is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, let me, let me land this plane here because our time is, is, is quickly going away here. But I need to say this. How do we do this? 
Okay, it's fine, all this. We've had a little lecture on the church and the, uh, the visible, invisible church, how it's perfect yet imperfect. It's diverse yet unified. But how does the body fill this unity and purpose? How do we do this? Well, I think the hint is found in verse 27 and following where it talks about all the different gifts that God has given. And it says, do all do this and do all do this. But look at verse 31. It says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Or in some translations, the, uh, uh, no, that's fine, the higher gifts. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that some gifts are more important than others? No, most commentators understand that what he's saying there is you use the gifts that are going to affect the church the best, okay? The higher calling is not individual promotion, but yet what is going to be most helpful for the entire church? That's what he's saying you need to go after. And then you say, okay, well, that's good, but how? Paul anticipates that, and he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, that's the end of the chapter. Kind of a cliffhanger, okay? He says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. End of the chapter. Now, we've got to remember that Paul didn't end the chapter there. Chapter divisions came much later on. You say, well, how? What is this more excellent way? What is chapter 13 all about? Love. About loving each other. But what does it say? It says, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. You want to know how to build one another up in the context of the church? 1 Corinthians 13. Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Love never fails. This is what God has called us to do. He's called us to be part of this unique church. So in conclusion, let me just give you these three things I want to leave you with. Here's three application points, if you will. The church is unique. It's like unlike any other organization or club. And so here's what I would ask us to do today. Be patient with the imperfections of the church and allow God to change you as he makes this church more beautiful. Secondly, pray for the perfect church that will come one day. And finally, employ your time, energy, money, talents to build our church through encouragement, evangelism, and servants. And we do this all for God's glory because this is what he's called us to do. He's called us to be part of a beautiful church that he is making it even more beautiful. And one day will bring, I mean, he will present without spot or wrinkle uh, to the Father. And so... As we looked at the church today, the next week we have a message that we're going to be looking at, what are the greatest threats to the church? But for now, let's embrace the uniqueness of this and understand that God is doing something gorgeous here, but we have to be obedient and we have to follow him. Let's pray. Father, this went longer than I had planned. Um, and so I, I just pray that uh, we would focus and on what was most important and what was said, and, and that was your word about how the church is something that you're doing for your glory and for your honor. Lord, may we see it as a privilege that we get to be part of a church. I think sometimes we look at it as like optional or right or, and man, you, you formed this thing and you made it and you organized it for your glory. 
I pray that we'd, we'd see it that way and not see it as just a place to show up on Sunday mornings. Forgive us. Every one of us, myself included, we, we, we get distracted. And, and I, know, I, I know that I often take the church for granted, and I'm sorry. So we're grateful. We're grateful that your word is here to instruct us and to guide us and to shape us more like Christ. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.